Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. Paul, as you know, this is something of a wine show. So they say. Well, and as you know, uh, there's something we haven't done in a while. Um, made sense? Be credible? E- well, yeah, yeah, that too. But we haven't talked about where grapes come from. Well, Rick, when a mommy grape and a daddy grape love each other very vineyards, Paul, much. We're talking about vineyards <laughs> here, all right? Uh, and also today we have listener questions about hand harvesting, about sweet wines, and information on wine labels. Our horrible wine writing takes some interpretation. And as usual, we are making fun of wine snobs. Oh, yeah. And by the way, we are still on Capital Public Radio podcast lineup. That's Sacramento's NPR station. Dear Lord, no one knows why, but there we are in that special category of Capital Public Radio recommends. Recommended. That's right. Thank you, Capital Public Radio. Good luck, NPR. We hope we do not destroy your credibility. Yeah, because frankly, we've done that to pretty much everybody else we've touched. So, all right. Paul, as you know, growing grapes is relatively hard work. That's one of the reasons we don't do it, Rick. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely one reason. Well, the others include uh, we wouldn't be very good at it, and uh, we don't own any vineyards. And, um, but we, it is hard work, and we try to stay away from that. Um, and, you know, and also, as our loyal listeners know. Our, uh, both of our loyal listeners, Rick? I, I'm going with a handful. A handful. <laughs> but, but, you know, we say over and over that you don't have to know how to make a piano to enjoy a concert or some version of that metaphor. Right. Um, and you can love wine without knowing much about anything in winemaking or vineyards. That's actually, people say that about us a lot. And look we how well really we've been don't doing know this. much about uh, anything. That's true. And that's right. That's right. I don't, I still, I don't know how a piano is made either, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, you start with French oak. Uh, that's right. All right. Nonetheless, I think it is one of the fun things about wine is growing grapes is, is really an interesting process. And it's mm-hmm. kind of fun. And if you like it, it's always nice to know what, what it is. So I thought we'd do just a short tour of all the things that farmers do in their vineyards. Cool. And we'll start with, okay. the, start with the basics. Um, okay. We have mentioned okay. this more than once that you don't plant seeds to start a vineyard. Right. In fact, grapes are genetically mm, unstable. And if you plant grape seeds, you... That's another thing people say about us, by the way, the unstable part. You don't get the same kind of grape. You get all sorts of weird variations of that grape. So the only way to plant grapevines is to plant cuttings. So you cut off an existing vine, take a little bit of that cane, just like growing ivy or geraniums in your house, and it begins to throw down roots because it's a vine. Um, and that's how you propagate grapevines. Although, right. should point out that there's a there's a, a nematode, a little bug that lives in the dirt that loves to eat grapevines. And so the way you protect against that is you plant kind of a rootstock first, an American rootstock. And then on top of that, you graft on the kind of grapevine that you like. And it's just the way, the same way they grow walnut trees. Right. And like a lot of, like a lot of trees and, and some other fruit things too, it's the flavor comes from the vine, not from the root. So right. the, the style is, is right. that. So, yep. so the, then the next thing is now that you've, is where do you plant those or how do you plant those? Right. And it's, it's really the spacing of the rows and the direction of the rows is both science and art. Yeah, yeah. Know, even and, the even the kind of soil. Right. How much water is it going to retain? Whether the water is going to drain out, or say, some grapevines like what they call wet feet. 
they like to have their 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 roots. Not, not me, I get cold. Yeah, I know you. Well, it's, it's, it's true. <laughs> I have to put my little snuggly on to get um, my feet get wet. And and others love to have well drained soils, lots of rocks. So you you pick your site, and then you decide: Do I want to protect against wind? Do I want to plant the rows in one direction? Do I want to plant them in another direction to give them both both sides of the vine even amounts of sun? Yeah, Putting different so, kinds of trellising systems. So you know, and those those rows, those rows are is a cool thing because you know you can drive down uh, like the Silverado Trail in Napa because you're up on the hill and you can see right. you know for a half a mile or a mile, two miles actually across the valley, and you'll see in some sections all these rows going the same direction, and, and then, then uh, other sections yeah, they're going yeah, exactly yeah, the opposite. Yeah. And it's everybody's interpretation of yeah. of how much shade they want, you know, right. what side the leaves are on. Well, and then if you get a little bit of a slope. If do you plant rows across the slope to resist erosion, or do you go down the slope to assist in draining the draining the water out of the vineyard? It's all yeah, part of the and, equation. and so that's I mean that is so when you start to talk about the complexity of winemaking, that's one of the things is like is this something so simple that you would think as what direction do you plant them and how closely really matters. It really matters. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, so then there's another piece of it which is the pruning, and you, right. if anybody and has roses. Um, which I do, but don't touch them, and they just grow wild on my back fence, uh-huh. and they manage to well, do if you okay. Touch them, if you touch them, you they, get pricked. Actually, well, when I get near them, the roses say, stand back. <laughs> they say, we're doing fine. We don't want <laughs> you to try alone. to mess with us. And, right. and frankly, it's worked. Um, but so there's lots of pruning that goes on, including winter pruning, which seems, you know, you... you well, you do have to prune grapevines because the, the fruit always comes off of last year's growth. And if you don't cut them back, it produces a huge amount of fruit one year, and then the next year the vine is quite exhausted. And so you have to manage the yields in the vineyards by how much you prune the vines. Right, and and when you prune it matters too because they actually start to bud, uh, you know, four to six weeks. It depends about right. um, after you prune it. So that the science of when do you want them to bud because you then have to deal with weather if – they are they are not at all vulnerable Actually, when they're during the winter, but in spring they start to be vulnerable to frost and yeah, rain and, and all in, kinds of stuff. In a vineyard, you are always susceptible to weather. Well, that's I true. Mean, that's when you got to protect them against frost. Uh, it's it's a huge undertaking, and then. They bloom. If it rains or hails during bloom, you can lose a lot of the crop that way. Uh, hail damage can damage the leaves, which means they don't produce enough uh, photosynthesis, so they don't ripen the grapes. It's There's a reason we don't do this for a living, Rick. Well, certainly us. You know, the the, the frost damage is, is kind of a cool thing, and we should we should take a show to actually talk more about it. But there's some of the things that—, that I think is really cool. Like in the foothills, for example, a lot of the vineyards are designed to let the air flow downhill downhill because cold air sinks. Well, in fact, so it's just like water. Most of the famous vineyards in Europe were planted by the Romans, who certainly didn't have wind machines or any technical innovations. They simply knew that if you planted on a hillside, the cold air sank to the bottom, and if you were up off the bottom on the hillside, your vineyards wouldn't freeze as badly as the bottomland would. Right. And the other really cool, almost counterintuitive thing is when there's a water supply, and now after this year, there should be in most of California, is to use sprinklers to keep the frost. So right. it's it's this, you know, physics is is being played in. And when we start interpreting physics, dear Lord, for everybody. But <laughs> if the sprinklers stay on when the temperature is you know, a little bit below freezing, the very act of water turning into ice right. gives off some heat. 
right. and keeps because, the grapes because above Because the water freezing. goes from water to ice, which means it's getting colder, and somewhere that heat has to go somewhere. And if it's that water is on a grapevine, that heat goes into the vine and keeps the vine itself from freezing. And I'm sure it involves uh, protons and ne- neutrons and electrons and... Morons. Some trons. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, no, it's it's a very cool part, actually. I'm, I'm, I, here's a shock. I'm being silly. Um, um, and then once you've got your fruit, then the, then the issue is, as you were talking about before, about irrigation, how much. Yep. It, you know, each vine is different. Each grape is different. Each, each site is different. Each is different. Yep. You know, and how yep. much. And in uh, colder areas, sometimes um, is you'll have uh, less of a canopy, fewer leaves. Um, and some other areas have warm, but then leaves are the engines, right? Leaves bring in they, so, they photosynthesize. The, that's right. But too much, too many leaves has issues too. Then they'll take all the energy away from the fruit, and right. it goes on and on. What it comes down to is this: uh, growing a vineyard is farming. Farming is there hard work. Yes, it's not for us. Paul. Not for us. No, no, absolutely not. No, hard work is not our forte. Absolutely. All right. So with that in mind, we'll do something easy and just answer questions wrong. <laughs> so you are that's the easiest part of all that's what we do well uh, we're listening you're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul and if you'd like to ask us a question go to our website rickandpaulwine.com or click through on Capital Public Radio's website or any other place you might run into us even in the supermarket you can ask us a question in the supermarket but don't too. click on us in the supermarket no that's well yeah that, that hurts <laughs> um, alright so as you know, Paul, I love me my themed shows. Yes. So I saved a couple of vineyard-related questions for oh, the good. show. So, okay. All right. So this one is from Teresa in Moreno Valley. Where is Moreno Valley? It is uh, sort of the, the Inland Empire. It's actually not Got so it. far from Temecula, and okay. she asked about okay. Temecula. So not yeah. – yeah, almost yeah. wine country. Yeah. So uh, she says, we were wine tasting <clears throat> in Temecula at a winery named Remove so we don't get sued, and they said their grapes are picked by hand. Like they use loving angels and wood nymphs. <laughs> Ooh, you know, if you put that on the back of a bottle, people would buy that one. I tell you, if wood nymphs pick my grapes, <laughs> I would love it. Um, so she says, what does that mean? Is picking grapes by machine bad? Great question. And, and here's the answer, is that years ago, they used to have machines, and the way they would pick the grapes is they'd just shake the living daylights out of the grape, and they would actually hit the grapes with little fingers, and it would Big knock. Big fingers or wads. Yeah. yeah. And they would pretty much whack most of the leaves and a lot of the canes and all of the grapes off, and then that's how you'd pick the grapes by machine. Yeah, whatever was left. Yeah, including, you know, half of the vine and some sticks and <laughs> And in those days, picking squirrels. by hand was a lot better than picking by machine. Um, I'm, I'm still pretty safe in saying that most of the very expensive wines in the world are hand-picked. I think that's true. But at the same time, the new kinds of grape harvesters, they don't whack the grapes. They actually shake the vine. And the only berries that fall off the cluster, you know how when you buy a bunch of grapes at the store, you pick the bunch up and a few fall off? And it rolls down the aisle, and then the old lady who's coming with the cart trips and falls and breaks her hip. <laughs> and then that's me. Then you yep. run really hard the other direction. I do. I right out the door, that's and I right. go to another store. Well, yeah. that those grapes are perfectly ripe. Imagine if you had a machine that would just come through your vineyard and it would shake the vine, and only the ripe berries would fall off right. the bunch. That's kind of the way they work right now. And then they've also got a, a lot of them have these built-in optical sensors. So if there's anything defective about the berry, Rick, it would kick you right out. Yeah, that's what happens. Uh, it's why that's why I can't get in anywhere now that all these people are putting <laughs> optical, optical sensors. sensors on the front doors. <laughs> right. And so you know, and it also, I mean, there's there's a whole lot of things that that are involved in this. It also depends how the vineyard was planted, sure, and what the grapes yeah, are. There are some vineyards and, that you could not 
pick by machine no matter how hard you tried. Right. And in some cases, the grapes are are lined up so that you can pick the by exactly machine, which right. then actually makes it even a more yep. gentle process. Yep. So it's, it is not one thing. Having said that, of course, handpicking is, is something of a, a, a marketing advantage as well, but it doesn't always mean that it's the best way. It doesn't, right. It's never a bad way. But right. it doesn't mean and but if they have woodman's nymphs hand picking, that's, that's a whole different that's thing. That's a whole different Another thing. Another category. And, and I would say that machines both machines and hand pickers can be trained to pick better or worse. You know, I've seen wood nymphs driving those machines. I wonder <laughs> if that counts. I bet that counts. Yeah. All right. Our next one is from Jonathan Eldorado Hills. And he says, When I'm in Napa, the vineyards all seem to be really neat and perfectly trimmed. Yep. And then the foothills around here. Eldorado Hills is is uh, in Placer uh, near Placerville in Eldorado yeah, County. Yeah, uh, lots of the vineyards are a lot more bushy. What's the difference? Is that because the grapevines are different, or do they spend more time trimming in Napa? And both of his questions are correct. Yeah. Um, you know, El Dorado grows a lot of Zinfandel, which mm-hmm. traditionally is grown on the old California what they used to call the California sprawl system, where the vines actually are set up as individual little uh, trees. Coincidentally, Eldorado Hills itself is a version of California sprawl. There you, that's go. Another one. <laughs> there you go. But the little the vines actually look like uh, little trees growing in the vineyard, whereas in Napa, the, the system of growing Cabernet these days is usually on a trellis so that you've got wires supporting the, the canes and all the rest. It's easier to – it's easier and it probably makes – it makes more – sense both for quality and for commercial purposes to trim those vineyards, whereas the California sprawl really depends on the vine being perfectly in balance and where it is. So it's a combination of both it, of those things. And it's also the grapes and a heat thing. So yeah. more, you know, the foothills get hotter. Yes, they and do. And so more, that's more shade. And yep. so the California sprawl works there. In Napa, which where it is is not super hot and parts of it can be darn, downright cool, that you get more sun exposure when you when you have those perfectly lined up vineyards. You you really are, are getting well not exactly what you want because it depends on the days and all, but then you get more sun and actually more cooling too from the wind. So right. you get the, the bigger but I, shift. I, I, shortest answer, or pro- probably the most mm, the the best sort of general answer is in Napa every single thing is done in those vineyards to be scientifically add, gr- create the best possible grape sparing no cost because that's the kind of wines they make they're after right. making 50 to 100 dollar bottles of wine and in El Dorado while they also make some very good wines they don't and or can't take all of those kinds of steps because it simply isn't commercially right. viable. Right. That's the thing. You can't get way. the price for it, so you can't do it. You can't do it because you right. can't get the price for it. Um, right. Although I do know a couple of winemakers up there that have experimented with their Zin and have gone back to California Sprawl. Yeah, they just because think for Zinfandel, it's a good system. Yeah. So yeah. so that's a really good question, though, Jonathan. Yep. A really good question. It's actually almost too smart for us. Yep. Uh, though most questions most are. Questions are Actually, that most smart. people are. It's really sort of sad. All right. Well, but we've got some things that we are smarter than, and that's what's coming up next. Some really horrible wine writing. Excellent. There we are. Horrible wine writing time. And my uh, the one that I'm going to get to in a minute is would be a good example of sprawl in its own. But, uh, <laughs> but, but we'll, we'll start with what you've got for well, us. Well, I have one that, uh, you know, I was trained as a musician, so I always love this. This, But this is people who call wine an interpretation. Ah, like an interpretation this of Zinfandel. our interpretation of Merlot. And uh. I'm thinking, you made it. It's Merlot. Just say. Just say. It's my Merlot. Yeah. 
right? You don't have to get into interpretations. When Arthur Rubinstein plays the Moonlight Sonata, he doesn't say, this is my interpretation of the Moonlight Sonata. He just plays the music. Yeah, well, I, I think that's uh, needless hair splitting. You can't go any farther than what you just said. I'm with you. I'm, and and yeah. Rick, for someone who doesn't have much hair, I, needless I hair split. I split both of them yesterday morning. <laughs> All right. So uh, this is one of my go-to newspaper critics for long, exhausting, but incoherent reviews. Oh, excellent. Every now and then, I just you need just to amuse myself, and I go read this guy. And, yeah, um, okay. And this is one of those guys that has you know taken one psalm test too many uh-huh, uh-huh. And has, uh, well, well. let me just read it. It could just be that he gets paid by the word, Rick. It's entirely possible. All right, so here's his review. Uh, buckle your seatbelts. <laughs> In the glass, name removed so you don't get sued, Malbec, wine, is a deeply colored purplish-red color with an <laughs> opaque core going out into a fine violet rim definition with high viscosity. Did, does, doesn't, doesn't he know that all wine is garnet? Yeah, well, apparently not. But... Or uh, can we make fun of this now, or do we have to wait? No, we can start making fun now. That's totally fine. Okay, because I love the fact that it's a Malbec wine. Yes, right, and a deeply colored purplish-red color. Yes, because you wouldn't want to—well, how could it not be? <laughs> you don't need color, I'm just You don't saying. need yeah. color twice. Yeah, yeah, but right, a Malbec wine, and it's that thing—so so there's two things going on here that are right off the bat the the really bad for, for like, the wine industry. One is that, that slightly— officious way of of phrasing which right. throws in lots of extra words the right. wa- the malbec wine the fine violet rim definition right the, sorry, uh, it's rim yes the you don't uh, need a rim definition well the other thing is so in and you and i have talked about this a lot on the show we will continue to which is that you know when you take the sommelier test there's all these categories all these boxes you're checking right you know and, it, and there's five five or six depending gotta, on which test right. on on site right? right gotta have five things in there nobody cares <laughs> nobody buys a wine because it has a fine violet rim or, or a fine violet rim definition. Or a deeply colored purplish red color. So this this guy just checked all the boxes, you know, yeah. and you know, and yeah. it's it's not necessary. Okay. Okay, so, keep going, because this is only gonna so, get better. And then he goes on the nose and on the palate, right? Because it okay, has to good. be different. So and what does he and say they about also the nose? have to be completely separate. They can never connect. All right. So on the nose, the Malbec wine. Is it is again, it a wine again? It's still still the Malbec wine. <laughs> is all concentrated black fruit extract with morello cherries graphite huckleberry sauce dark chocolate earth-driven minerals and touches of mature wood with licorice twizzles the fruit appears balanced and suave that's just on the nose. Okay. So I wait want a minute. How can it appear, Suave? Nicholas, Wouldn't it uh, I'm smell? Sorry, li- licorice Twizzlers. Look, li- li- it smells like licorice Twizzlers. Yeah. Well, Not licorice. Okay. The, the fine that, the, that, that he, he says it smells like licorice, okay. But you got about six too many things in there, I think. Right. Earth-driven minerals. Earth-driven minerals. Wouldn't that be all minerals? You got me. That could be a purplish color. Uh, well, yeah. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> yes. Earth, or, or maybe the earth... Is driving a truck and it's filled with these minerals. Earth driven minerals, you know, there could be fire driven yes. minerals or water driven minerals or isn't that a rock and roll band? <laughs> Earth, wind, and fire? Yeah, something like that. Okay. Morello cherries, by the way, are a class of sour cherries. Right. So there's really a whole bunch of different Morello cherries. Right. And what they are is sour. And so, so but, how do yep. you smell sour? 
Well, you smell sour sometimes. Well, it's right? a whole different kind of thing. That's very. But wait, but wait. Let me apologize because the show's not over, and you we still have, have palates. Yes, we still yes. have palates to go. Yes. So then, on the palate. So now we've had in the gla- in the glass. Yes. On the nose. Now on the palate. This is in a newspaper. I remind you. Yeah. There is a palpable sense as opposed to an unpalpable sense of, <laughs> of black fruit extraction. Because for those of you who don't know, palpable means yes. you can sense it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, with massive concentration of in particular, I love this. Yeah. In particular means like, okay, there's going to be one thing, right? Cherry compote, crushed marion berries, licorice extrude, fairly high tone acidity that plays with forward but ripe tannins and then hints of wood. Wow. Okay. In particular. Yes. In particular. Crushed marion berries. Crushed marion berries. Not just marion berries, no, but no. crushed marion berries. Right. How hard do you have to crush them? Uh, apparently, uh, he doesn't a lot. actually specify. And licorice root extract, not the licorice root, but the extract, which would be, smell like the licorice root or taste like the licorice root, I would think. But right. fairly high tone acidity, and forward but ripe tannins. What the heck does that mean? And then hints of wood. As a powerful finish, then quite frankly gives the palate uh, that quite frankly gives the palate a bit of a work. Quite frankly, wait, I, I'm I'm confused. Is he not being frank in, in the, the rest of this review? Actually, I will tell you. Aside from that useless phrase, that's the one sentence that actually is useful, which is it has a powerful finish that gives the palate a bit of a workout. That's not bad. What he's saying is it's kind of a rough tannic finish. Yeah, makes so, me not want to drink right, the wine. Right, right, but he loving the wine. And the wine is big masculine <laughs> style that drinks great after a couple hours of op- a couple of hours opened. Wow. Okay. So this was, uh, there was like a thousand. I would, con- I would give this to a high school English teacher and ask him or her to uh, edit it down to about 35 words and see if we can get a review that we could use. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, palpable right. sense. A palpable sense. He's got palpable of- senses and he's got colored colors. Yes. This is, this is what happens. And Malbec wines twice. This is what happens while well, it's one is when people have taken sommelier training and not learned anything from it. And second, when they feel like they need the sound knowledge. But this isn't, I mean, this, this is grammatic. This is not just sommelier training. This is, this is right. well, bad writing. Well, the problem is you took sommelier training but not a writing class. <laughs> exactly. Right. There right. you go. Okay. Well, all right. Let's take another question or two before we, uh, before we let our listeners off the hook. <laughs> before we take an English writing <laughs> That's class. That's right. Well, we, there's a whole lot of classes we could take, including a class in class. <laughs> <laughs> Another whole problem. All right. Uh, here's one from Heather in Roseville. Why don't wineries in France or lots of places in Europe put the grapes on the label? Is it snobbery or are they just being mean? <laughs> oh, 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 Heather, don't take it so personally here. No, it's just that in Europe they've made wines in the same regions from the same grapes that for so long that everybody knows more about the region than they know about the grapes. However, however— They are starting to change. Yeah, well, in Burgundy— which is red grapes is going to be Pinot Noir. White grapes is going to be Chardonnay. They are not allowed to put the name. They have finally been allowed to put the name of the grape on wine selling in the U.S. Right. But they're not, they're not allowed to put the name of the grape on the label in France. Yeah. Yeah. That, but, so that is a bit of uh, that is a bit of tradition. The basic answer is they have they have been doing it for so long that everybody knows. And in fact, the grape names mean less to European consumers than the regions. So they put the regions on because that's what means the most to consumers. Bordeaux, 
could be a bunch of different grapes. Five different grapes can get blended in different ways, but everybody knows that Bordeaux kind of tastes like Bordeaux. Yeah. And the regions are in a way a brand. And one of the reasons is because, right. well, they're not even in a way. They are they a brand. They are a brand. And if you think about it, in, in the U.S., we have a little of that. Napa Valley is one one place yeah. for sure. Yeah. But Napa Valley, you can make wines from any kind of grapes right. you want. So it's saying you go, it's you a Napa Valley wine. You go to Brunello de Montalcino, if you're not making right. it out of Sangiovese, you're not making Brunello right. de Montalcino. Yeah, so but so back but sort of back to that brand analogy, maybe brand analogy isn't quite the word. It's really it's a product. The region is the name of the product. So can I go on a little flyer here that illustrates the point? And could I possibly stop you? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> because if you remember, Rick, fifteen years ago, the at that point not very famous Italian sparkling wine Prosecco was made from a that. grape that they called Prosecco. That became so popular that people started making Prosecco everywhere in the world. Yeah. And the people in Prosecco began to get nervous. Gee, we make a wine that we say comes from this one region, and just like Champagne comes from Champagne, Prosecco comes from Prosecco, but people are using the name of the grape that we use here to produce something called Prosecco in other parts of the world. That's not fair. So they actually changed the name of the grape. Yep. They changed the name of the grape from Prosecco to Glera. Glera right. So now right. you can make Glera in other parts of the world, but you can only make Prosecco in Prosecco. Right. Yeah, and so it is. It, it is some you know brand protection and some all those sorts of things. But but the simple answer is those regions, those products have been around for so long. It's kind of like saying you know a name of a breakfast cereal. You know you know what Frosted Flakes or Cheerios or Honey Bunches of Oats are supposed to taste like, and right. uh, in theory anyway. Um, although I got a box of chocolate honey bunches of oats by accident. It tasted like, it was not bad. <laughs> okay. it was really, Next, it's, Matt, can we cut that it part was, out? It's really good with port. <laughs> <laughs> do you pour the port in the bowl with the cereal or do you drink it in a glass by the side like an orange juice? Okay. Uh, we're going to do this next one quickly because we could actually spend a whole show. We have, yes, and Mike, we again, on this, this is from Jose in Turlock. He says, what makes sweet wine sweet? Is it natural or do they add sugar or something else? Is it the same for wines that are sweet, like the red blends and the expensive dessert wines? So there are about five different ways to make a sweet wine. Let me just rattle through them real quick. One of them is you pick the grapes when they are so ripe that not all the sugar <clears throat> can ferment into alcohol. And when that happens, some of the sugar is left over and it tastes sweet. Another way is to stop the fermentation before all the sugar in the grapes is turned to alcohol. You do that often by adding brandy, basically, which increases Fortifies the alcohol Fortifies but kills right. the yeast, right? Another way is that you intentionally stop the fermentation using temperature, for example. If you chill a wine way down, the fermentation slows down, you run it through a filter. Can you just scare the yeast? Is that You work? cannot scare it, but okay. you can chill it and filter it out. And then you can also pick grapes and then leave them out in the sun or leave them in another area of the winery so they become sweeter as they dehydrate. And then you may, all of those are different ways of and making sweet sugar. wine. Just, and almost yeah. all of them are natural. There's even a, a way in Germany where they ferment the wine, and then they add sterilized, pure, sweet grape juice back into the wine. And all of those are used to make wines in the United States as well as in Europe. And when he's asking about those sweet red blends, 
In my guess, most of those are made slightly sweet by adding back a little right. unfermented juice. Yeah, and that unfer- you know the unfermented juice or the or that that juice concentrate is really just like adding sugar. That's it really. So in in it is, but it comes from the grape. It comes from I the mean, grape. It's, it's, so it's, it's a grape it's, sugar. But it, yeah, yeah. The, but so the, in, the intent there is they've like adding sugar to your coffee. In that case, it is really well. There's a you know the yeah. most one of the most famous dessert wines in the world is made by adding basically raisins back into the wine, and it's kind of the same process. Tokai. Tokai. Yeah, there you go. Uh, a grape that we have talked about and will again. And we will again. All right. Well, we will talk about pretty much everything at some point. Not that we will make any sense, but for now, <laughs> that's it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our producer is Matt Bassini. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the studio use and for graciously including us on their podcast line. Recommended podcast Recommended line. podcast line. They are generous indeed. And if you'd like to ask us a question, go to Capital to excuse me to Capital Public Radio to find the podcast, but rickandpaulwine.com is where you can ask us a question. And if you learned anything today, we hope it's that growing grapes and tending vineyards is not for the week. Which is why you're never going to see us do it. Not at all. I'm Ray Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. I remember the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially us. Especially us.